1: Welcome to
0: Office Hours, where we sit down with the chief executives shaping the world and answer your most pressing questions about leadership, career, and life. I'm Mike Steib, and today we sit down with a deeply respected leader who has transformed some of the most important brands in the world, positively impacting the lives of millions of people in the process. Mindy Grossman started her illustrious career in retail and fashion, leading businesses for the likes of Polo Ralph Lauren and Nike. She then took the helm as CEO of HSN Inc., transforming the company for the digital age and leading its initial public offering in 2008. Subsequently, she became the CEO of Weight Watchers, where she oversaw the reinvention of the brand and product for a broader vision of wellness. She's been listed repeatedly as a Financial Times top 50 women in the world of business, as one of Fortune's top people in business, and Forbes' most powerful women in the world. Mindy Grossman, what an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, It's an honor on this end, too. So I've long admired your career. I've been really looking forward to getting into this. We've got an awesome range of questions today on technology, branding, management, career development, and I'll roll us right into the first one. Rihanna in Columbus, Ohio.
1: Many CEOs take a path through a company to the top position. You've each been hired from the outside to run companies. As someone who is not cut out to be a lifer at any one company, can you tell me how that career path works? Mindy,
0: start at the top because some folks may not know what you did at Nike and Ruffalo. You've done so many cool things. Maybe tell us that you've had this really cool horizontal journey through the industry.
2: Just to give you some quick background, because some people look at my career journey and say, how did that happen? And it really all comes down to one word, and I'll talk about it, and it's transformation. And transformation has been a core to my life. Since before I even started in the workforce, and you know, I decided to transform my life in my senior year of college. I was scheduled to go to law school in the fall. I was scheduled to get married. I started college out of my junior year in high school. I was very focused. Being an adopted kid, who was told, "You know, you can do anything you want to do," and I realized that where I was in that time of my life, I was different than a few years earlier. So in one fell swoop, I call my parents, I broke my engagement, I'm not getting married, I'm not going to law school and I'm moving to New York and I'm gonna figure it out. And that moment was truly transformational for me. And I talk about this to this day, that not taking a risk is often riskier than taking the risk and being able to pivot and adapt. So, to your point, I started out in the menswear industry and had the opportunity to work for some very visionary designers, uh, Jeffrey Banks, Willie Smith, who was an icon Mm -hmm. of the 80s first black designer to really break every mold and really start the evolution of street culture and Mm -hmm. art. Um, Then I worked for Tommy Hilfiger when he was... Breaking out. Um, right. and episode, then
0: my, episode one of Office Hours, folks. Make sure you download yeah, it. It was a is real still good a friend, one.
2: A close friend to this day um, and just a spectacular human. Um, and then I had the opportunity to go be president and turn around Chaps Ralph Warren. And, you know, I was really happy where I was, but I said, if I ultimately want to be a CEO, there's not going to be many opportunities, and usually right. you found even today a lot of women take the tougher roles because you know that not everybody wants those roles all the time. And I went in and turned around a business, um, went from twenty million dollars losing money to two hundred and fifty million dollars, very very profitably. Created a whole new concept named I mean, for collections in the men's apparel company. Um, but I left after three years and I remember the CEO who actually was a woman saying to me, you either have another job, you're independently wealthy or you're stupid. And I say, <laughs> OD, oh, none of the above. And then I got a call from someone named Phil Knight. And Phil had just come back into Nike, the business had altered. And he wanted to create a new executive team. It was incredible, six years, but I was doing a crazy commute between New York and Portland and out of the country all the time. Um, Needed to get back for many reasons to the East Coast. And I shocked the world when instead of going to some other big, giant, you know, known Uh, company you know you work for a company like a nike or a ralph whatever and you go to a cocktail party and someone says who do you work for and you go it's Ooh!" you know you're like the cool kid
0: and as you went from ralph lauren to nike to home shopping to weight watchers each of those it sounds like was in a place of some great difficulty or some moment of real new invention it was never clean you aren't stepping into easy situations and easy jobs i wonder is is that a is that a pattern just for you or is that a pattern for folks who want to take this somewhat orthogonal path rather than just climbing up the ladder at one company
2: well i think you have to know what inspires you so mm-hmm. i am not the person you bring in to keep the flywheel going because i will disrupt it <laughs> so i love transformation and whether that's a legacy brand or a next generation of growth, whatever whatever that is. And it's it's hard, radical change. But if you can accomplish that, the rewards of what you can do for business, what you can do for people, what you could do for culture, what you can ultimately even do for society are that much greater. That's right. Um, and, you know, it's about having transformative vision and then being able to focus to achieve that vision.
0: And I had a friend who he, he, took a, he took a really tough CEO gig recently, and it's his first one. And he was telling me all the things that are, you know, messy about the situation. And I said, you know, if it were if it's a really good situation, they wouldn't have called you you're getting this shot because it's messy. If the company was doing great, they have th- they're have three levels deep with successors to step into this role at the, as you noted, at a flywheel that's already turning. Like the world needs people to step up for hard jobs. So if you're looking to take a career path like Mindy's, look for look for situations that need someone, someone who's ready to have an impact in a tough spot. So Jared in Billings, Montana,
1: failure to execute the digital transition is leaving many companies irrelevant. How have you led your company to successfully
2: transform in the face of new technology?
0: So you touched on this in the open, but you did some really amazing things at both HSN and Weight Watchers taking them from the from their historical place to this to modern products for the for the digital consumer. Tell us how'd you pull it off?
2: So I think, What's amazing to me is that we're actually still talking about digital transition. Every company is a digital company. But the way you have to think about it is start with the consumer. Start with who your consumer is. How are they absorbing content? How are they connecting It's the combination of digital and physical and virtual. It's not bifurcating. So even when I was running the National Retail Federation, I didn't like the word omni-channel because a channel is a vertical. You have Mm -hmm. to look at it as an ecosystem of how you're interfacing with who your ultimate consumer is. So if you look at, you know, WW, um, you know, our main connection 24 hours a day was our app. Now, we did have in-person powerful workshops, 30,000 a week in 13 different countries. But the, the opportunity to have a connection to someone 24-7 So, what we had, we had acquired a company that actually allowed us to have our own internal and within our app social network where people could share, where people could be very vulnerable. And it was probably one of the most positive experiences, not like what we're dealing with today in social media. Um, It was building community through. Digital capabilities. Digital app. And that's what's so important. What are you providing people that is going to give them support depending on what your business is and how are you using technology? Again, whether it's in a digital environment or even today in a physical environment, it's really important to understand what that consumer behavior is and what you are providing them as an asset to help them. And it's critical.
0: I've also found, and tell me, I suspect you have as well, that there's this, from the outside, there's this idea that things are analog and then they become digital. And it's like mission is a, the mission's accomplished. As you're talking about it, you're talking about the user, the, the actual consumer's experience, not just the channel. And as the interface evolves, the technological transformation has to happen again. I actually went to, when I went to The Knot, I went to a one of the web 1.0 pioneers. This was like, this was one of the dot-com IPOs of the turn of the century. And when I got there, we needed a digital transformation because it was a company built for the web, built for desktop web. It was at, at the, by the time I got there, a 17-year-old technology stack and we had to rewrite all the code. We had to rebuild the company for mobile. So it's not like they're analog companies and digital companies. As you noted before, we're all digital companies now. And we're all in the middle of some next transformation. I mean, think about what the, the interface of uh, conversational uh, AI interfaces is going to mean for how the consumer thinks about apps next. We're gonna to have to do it all again.
2: 100%, I was gonna bring that up. So all of a sudden, every conversation you have integrates AI, right? Everybody's talking about
0: it. The next question touches on the comments you made earlier about culture. Um, And Grant in Washington actually texted us and he wrote, my workplace is pretty stale and complacent. How do you create a winning culture at work and create a sense of urgency?
2: It's critical.
0: So, when you went in at HSN had been ten CEOs and whatever it was in eight years or eight CEOs in ten years, and you said there were cobwebs, like how what did you do to get that team to be fired up for your leadership and your vision?
2: Yeah, so the first thing I had to figure out is how at the very onset, would it trigger to people that she's different. Mm-hmm. So I said to my head of HR, She goes, what do you want to do on your first day? I said, what would anybody else who was coming into the company do on their first day? She said, they would go to employee orientation. I said, well, I'm going to employee orientation. She goes, you're going to I said, yes. You're one of
0: the team. I like that.
2: I showed up. There were 25 people in the room. They went around the room introducing themselves. They got to me. I said, I'm Mindy Grossman, the new CEO. I spent the day in the call center, backstage television, meeting the people, interfacing with all those new people, but all the people there. And it spread like wildfire. It spread like wildfire. Who is, you know? So the next day, when I got up to do my first town hall, they were ready because they felt I was different, that I was listening, that I was understanding that I had taken the time to be with everyone before I just walked in with some mandate. With that, I then said, we need to give people a sense of pride. But I'm walking around the campus and I saw that all the chairs were broken and mismatched. I called the CEO of Herman Miller and I said, I need to buy 4,000 Aeron chairs.
0: (laughs) that's not a small
2: ticket. Which I did, and so everybody cleaned up on Friday. I had someone come in and remove all the chairs and put in all the new chairs. And when everybody came back Monday, they all had their new chair. I had,
0: and they knew it was from
2: you. I had eight hundred so emails thanking me. You care about us. You're doing something for us.
0: The next question touches on probably how a lot of people feel when they're going through these difficult transitions. It's uh, Andre in Baton Rouge called us and said, The last few years have been really stressful and it feels like I'm always dealing with a crisis personally or in the company I work for uh, as a manager. It's really hard to keep the team motivated with all that's going on. How have you managed crises in the past? And what's your advice for other team leaders for managing through them?
2: That is a great question and more relevant today than ever before. I think that's right. You're not just the CEO. You are the chief communication officer. You can't underestimate the power of constant communication. You are the chief crisis officer and you are the chief hope officer. And you have to make people feel that you not only are you going to get through this, here's how we're going to do it, and here's what the future still is, even when you're making hard decisions. The second thing you have to do is you have to be willing to show your own vulnerability. Now, I say to people, if I had said that 10 years ago, they would have said, oh, yeah, because you're a woman. No. If you look right now, when they look at top qualities of leadership, vulnerability, and empathy are, are in addition to vision and strategy and the other things you need to have. People want to work um, for real people. It's it's really important because, you know, and, and there are times where it's hard, where you personally are, you know, feeling challenged, but the most important thing is to continue to communicate and motivate, not hide behind anything. Um, and again, it goes back to, you know, giving people the understanding and the hope that you're going to get beyond this.
0: I really agree with you on the communication point, especially we, we, during COVID, we went to, I did a weekly written update to the company and a weekly all hands for the entire company. And it felt like, it feels like too much it does not feel like too much to the audience you want to know are we going to be okay what's going on in the business how are we tackling this and we and approached it with a radical amount of transparency i'm like this is exactly what the budget is this is exactly what the forecast is this is where we're going for the rest of the year this is the amount of cash that we have like i don't you're not going to be surprised by anything that comes next we're in this together and you just the talking really helps but I, that's
2: why you are the leader you are and you saw a lot of companies who didn't take that approach
0: we we needed to be chief chief hope officers, as you noted. Exactly. Although I would I would say, Mindy, I'd love your your, your thought on this because we, you teed this up by saying now more than ever, and I really agree with you. It used to feel like you got a crisis a decade, and now it feels like we're in a perpetual state of crisis. And I found that it was really helpful to my team when I admitted that I said there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it is another train it is no longer that everything's good, something's bad and then the bad thing will be over and we can get back to everything's good. We now have to have the resilience as individuals and as a company for the thing that's coming next because it just feels like we're in we've entered a new world where there's always a thing that's next. So how do we build a company and a culture and bring the kinds of people together who are ready for that? That's what we need as an organization and it was like it was hard to hear it but i think it really for folks it was also it was it was sort of it's nice to hear the truth. It's nice to hear that we're expected to deal with this.
2: The other thing that's really important, you see a lot of people, they're out there, they're in front when things are good, and all of a sudden, they're not around as much.
0: Yeah, the CFO, the CFO takes the earnings call.
2: <laughs> okay? You need to be on the front line more when it's not good of course. than when it's good. Or somebody else is going to tell the story for you and not in the same way.
0: I couldn't agree more. Hannah in Charleston, South Carolina, called in.
2: Mindy, you've worked with famous founders and leaders like Phil Knight, Ralph Lauren and Barry Diller. What makes these kinds of founders and leaders so different and so successful? I've been very fortunate to, you know, have worked for all of those individuals and leaders. And I would think I do think that some of the things that have truly been part of it is their absolute commitment to long-term vision. Yes, they see the big picture. And brand. They see that. Um, They build cultures. Uh They are willing to take risks. But they know the difference between risk and suicide. Right. Right. They're willing to take risks to go where they need to be. They are maniacally focused on brand and what not to do. I'll never forget when I ran Paula Jean's company, we would show Ralph the concept for the season and he would approve it. And then the day we were launching in the showroom, he'd come in and walk around and he would literally pick up a shirt or look at a fixture that was going in a store, and he goes, maybe tell me why it's Ralph Lauren before you put the label or the logo on it. And I would have to have that answer. What was it inspired by? How did it fit the brand? And these founders know that. That has been why Nike is where it is over all all of these years. The same thing with Ralph, you can close your eyes and you can vision it, which I think is really important. Um, and they're humans, right? They, you you look at these companies, people stay there.
0: I, I experienced this, um, for example, when I was at, at Google and we talked a little bit about it on the previous podcast. The... The size of the vision. Tommy Ilfiger didn't want to sell some jeans. He wanted a global brand. Or he wanted his name all over the world. And you think about the way most of us are trained either through school or through work. You, you go from account manager to senior account manager. You go from director to managing director. And we celebrate these these tiny optimizations and improvements. And then you sit down with Larry Page who says, we're going to organize all of the world's information like, all of it? What about books? He's like, he has a plan for getting every, all of the books onto the internet and the cars will drive themselves. And then he was talking about building a space elevator so that you could go to space through a tube and you wouldn't need rockets. And just the scope of the ambition and the belief that if you go for it, something very special can happen, to me, is a characteristic of, of, of really important and special founders and leaders around 100%. There.
2: And I always use the expression, you need to have expansive mm-hmm. vision and radical focus on the things that are gonna get you. What you never want, and my husband uses the expression, you don't want infinitesimal incrementalism.
0: You're so, you're so brilliant about the consumer and the brands that you've led, and I, the, the next question I think you're gonna, I really enjoyed this question now. Uh, Amber in, in Idaho says.
1: I'm a marketer and I observe the way watchers, rebranding with great interest. Can you talk about what it takes to remake a brand?
0: So that was pretty radical. It was Weight Watchers forever. It was Weight Watchers Magazine all the way back into the 70s. Everyone knew it. And then it was WW. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah. So we did a tremendous amount of work trying to understand every element of, from the inception of the business, what the brand was, what the science was, what we could really bring to people around community. What were mm-hmm. the elements of the brand? And no matter what we do, we cannot lose. We cannot lose the fact that we're science-based. We cannot lose the fact that we built community and we cannot lose our relationship of how people felt about us, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, in the world today, where life expectancy is going backwards. Obesity is an epidemic. Uh As a matter of fact, it was the number one contributor to COVID deaths was obesity. And what we need to do is not just give people tools, but help them with overall behavior change. And that's everything from handling stress. To how they need to take care of their bodies, to how they have to eat appropriately, um, but how they have to still live their life, right? And that was very, very important to us. This wasn't about deprivation. This wasn't about you know eating two carrots a day. No, right, it was a healthy life. It's is about how do you change your mindset. How do you change your habits? We did a lot, a lot of that work. The other thing that was happening and is still happening, you know, weight is a
3: you
2: know controversial topic. Right. That's right. Um, it's it's not just provocative; it's polarizing. It is. You know, if you if you say you want to lose weight, are you not supporting body positivity? Whatever it is, and said we have to change the conversation. We have to change the conversation. And now I
0: recall the tagline on the old magazine was Weight Watchers, a magazine for attractive people. Oh yeah. Before your time. But so it <laughs> came from, a, the brand came from that place yeah, and, so you what thought, we, and you thought to change it for the
2: modern generation. Yeah. So what we did is we did a lot of work to come up with a new manifesto and vision and articulation of every aspect of the brand to really be a healthy living brand. And, mm-hmm. you know, we never wanted to lose our leadership in, in healthy weight loss, but we needed to be bigger in terms Something of bigger. what we were communicating. And when we came out with, you know, the manifesto of, you know, we inspire healthy habits for real life, for people, families communities the world for everyone to be the brand that could democratize wellness because another thing that was happening in the world and it still is today is access to many communities don't even have access to healthy food so we started the healthy living coalition we started ww good and said this is going to be part of our entire communication Um, and we need to articulate the brand and, you know, the goal of WW was for that to become the mark of wellness, right? Like when you go into a restaurant, if you see gluten-free, if you see this, how could we be motivating you to healthy? And where I saw it brought to life, and this was um, a a moment, a time I will never forget as long as I live, when we launched the WW presents Oprah's 2020 vision, your life in focus tour. It was a nine city tour. We had 25 to 40,000 people in every arena. And it was eight in the morning till the end of the day. Oprah leading along with other kind of visionaries and people doing great things. And everyone came in in the morning, and by the time they left at the end of the day, you could see them transformed. And the whole day was how are you reassessing how you want to live the rest of your life, and how can you live the most fulfilled, healthiest life? And you know, you saw it was visceral. You saw people transformed, and that's what we want to do and look not everybody's oprah
0: as somebody who successfully changed a, a, a world famous brand like that what do you think about the twitter rebranding
2: you know i'm not going to comment on someone else's um <laughs> you know reband i uh i think they're still in process um as i said before no matter who the brand is it doesn't happen overnight. Uh-huh. You've got to bring people along. They have, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I said it before, you know, it's provocative versus polarizing. And I think that, you know, they're doing work to be able to, you know, bring people back and start the right conversations, but it takes time.
0: It's gonna it take time. time. It's gonna, it's been a big change. You talked about how people are impacted in the WW rebranding. And I think this next, uh, and it's our our last question is one I'm I'm excited to hear your perspective on. So Chloe and uh, Charlotte asked,
1: so I've had kids recently, and I'm also a busy professional returning from parental leave. Um, I've always struggled with my weight, and now I'm ready to just kind of give up. Honestly, I don't know how I could be expected to do it all.
2: Working, parenting,
1: taking care of myself.
2: What's your advice? So my advice is on any given day, it's impossible to do it. It's impossible, right? And you have to sit back and say, what? based on where I am and what I need to do today, what do I have to prioritize, right? And, you know, I have a daughter who's now 33 and has, I have two granddaughters who are seven and four and a half, and we talk about this all the time because I commuted for six years. I was out of the country an average of 20% of the time and the most important thing was when I was with my family, I was focused on my family and I think that it's hard because you're so distracted and in today's world with our our phones 24-7, it's easy to live in the maelstrom of distraction. And I think it's really important to figure out the moments that you need for yourself, the moments you need for your family, the moments you need for work. But what I say a lot and particularly women, you know, people use the expression all the time. It's still the best expression. You got to put your, you know, oxygen mask on first, right? Right. You have to practice a certain level of self-care. And what you realize with your kids, it's not about the number of hours. It's the quality of those hours. Um, When you're there, they know you're there for them. You're asking them the questions about their day and all of those things. And I'm telling you, I was not perfect, right? I look back and I go, I should have, but you can't look back. You you got to keep looking forward, and you gotta you gotta learn from that. And you know that is def- definitely you know because it can be overwhelming. I mean, there are days that it's just overwhelming, and then I need a reset day where reset okay, I gotta rethink this. How am I allocating my time? And then the thing that has worked for me, and it, I don't say what works for me works for everyone. I try and find a certain amount of rituals, right? Like I wake up in the morning. The first thing I do is absorb information, my coffee, and I'm watching whatever. The second thing is I set, what do I need to accomplish today for myself, for my family, you know, for business? And how am I going to allocate it?
0: Yep. Create those intentions.
2: And create those intentions. And- it, it sounds easier than it is because it, it's easier, you know, to get distracted. But I think it makes a difference. I really think it makes a difference.
0: One of the mistakes I made earlier in my career was I, I thought of sleep and exercise as sort of taking away from the time that I needed for work and parenting and all the other things in my life. And one thing I, I have come to appreciate and I would uh, I'd share with, our, with our, our caller and our audience, is sleep and exercise are additive to my productivity, to my ability to make good decisions, for my ability to be present with my family. Those are things I, I always encourage everyone. You can't do everything, but give yourself the gift of setting an alarm for when to go to sleep and set an alarm for when to get up and set an alarm for when to go to when to go for a walk or a run or the gym or whatever you do. Like getting that right can just be a nice foundation to build the rest on.
2: That's the perfect advice.
0: Mindy. This has been an absolute pleasure. You inspire me. I loved talking with you today and I think uh, I think our audience got a ton out of it. So I just want to say thanks.
2: Yeah, as always you uh, get to the heart of things and create great conversations. And I'm really thrilled to have been able to do this with you.
0: Well friends, today was uh Really refreshing. We talked to a wonderful leader who's had impact in four different industries and in so many different ways, and I felt all of her advice was it was it was really sincere. But the one I took most to heart was when Mindy said, "Sometimes not taking a risk is the biggest risk," and I see this so often in 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 people's careers where there's a. There's a safety, there's a comfort in what they already know in the job that they have and the manager who they know and the brand that they work for. And taking a leap to something else is a risk. It's scary. And what we don't realize is the risk of not taking action, the risk of becoming stale, the risk of not being consistently challenged, the risk of depending too much on one company for your future. These all turn out to be risks as well. And, you know, we'll sometimes see later in people's careers if they If they're not constantly on the move, they're not constantly being challenged, they stop learning, they flatten out. And then all of a sudden the roles that they thought were there for them aren't there for them anymore. So I'll I'll reinforce Mindy's brilliant point. Sometimes not taking the risk is the risk. And in your careers, I hope friends, you're always looking for what's that next moment where I can have impact, I can be challenged, I can step up to the new thing because you'll do a lot more fun stuff, in your career and your life. You'll be shocked at how much you can grow and, and what you can really handle. Gang, we've got some amazing guests coming up the next few weeks, including a world-renowned restaurateur, the leading voice in crisis communications, a former big tech product exec who left to start his own company from scratch, an entrepreneur, there's a lot of fun stuff coming up. So text or call in your questions at 213-419-0596 or just hit me up in LinkedIn or Instagram, slide into my DMs and I'll read your question on the air. I want to thank Mindy and of course, Jen, Kara, Meg, Jada, Matt, and the team at Blue Duck Media for pulling this all together. Dylan, Sasha, Gay, Nathan, and Christine at iHeart, and Ben and the team at William Morris Endeavor for all their support. Office Hours is a production of Blue Duck Media and distributed by iHeart Radio. I will see you next week and... Until then, team, stay on your grind.
1: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products.